You are listening to the Regent College Podcast. Hello, my name is Octavio Fernandez y Mostajo. Hi, my name is Claire Perini. Welcome back to the Regent College Podcast. Friends, today we're looking um, at the book of Ruth and how Ruth might help us expand our understanding of work and vocation. Doesn't that sound mm-hmm. like such a Regent College podcast type of thing? Like when have you ever thought about those two things necessarily yeah. <laughs> going together? Yet at Regent, all sorts of things get exactly. intersected with all sorts of other things. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. I couldn't agree more. And yeah, because when you think about Ruth, like me, the last thing I would think is, you're going to talk about vocation. You can talk about anything else but vocation. <laughs> totally. But, yeah, but this, it, oh, it's there. Like, once a guy like Gustavo just opens your eyes a little bit, it's just all over, all over the story, the situation, a migrant and a hard work, and she has to take care of, 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 of an old la- lady. It's, it's, it's all over the place. And then, but we have Gustavo, and then we have Drew Lewis, an expert in Hebrew, so he's he's the one that teaches he one of the ones that teaches Hebrew here at Regent. And he was actually my Greek uh, professor, so I mean he knows his languages. So he has this insight, his, even a historical insight, to what's happening with Ruth. When was Ruth written? The language that was used uh, with Ruth, and even even how similar. Moabite would have been to Hebrew, and yeah, so you get mm-hmm. you, you go you can go even deeper than just you know using Ruth to talk about vocation. Yeah, so Drew is a sessional lecturer at Regent College. He's also a Regent grad, and he teaches Hebrew, biblical studies, and theologies. He's he's done that in four different countries, but at at Regent he teaches Hebrew and mm. Greek, and then what a course we call CTC Christian Thought and Culture, as well as some online distance ed courses in the Old Testament. And then Gustavo is no stranger to the podcast. He's been on two, I think, before. Um, Gustavo is a Regent grad. He uh, has an MATS in Marketplace Theology. And he currently serves as the administrator of the Master of Arts and Leadership Theology and Society, the MALT program at Regent. And uh, Gustavo is Brazilian. And I do think Mm -hmm. um, his context of being a Brazilian has influenced and shapes the way that he is thinking about this kind of theology for breadwinners, theology uh, that is broader than just those who are in positions of power and leadership. Yeah. Um, but how, how might a theology of work uh, and a theology of um, yeah faith and work, how might, how might that work for kind of all sectors of society uh, and particularly yeah. those that we may not have originally thought of when we're kind of making those, um, when we're developing our ideas around those things. So... We hope yeah. you enjoy our conversation around... Don't you love that phrase, theology for breadwinners? It's a good phrase. So good. So good. If, you, if that doesn't make any sense to you, tune in. It'll all become clear. Drew and Gustavo, welcome to the Regent Podcast. Thank you for having me. Welcome. I can't speak for Gustavo. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here as well. This is Gustavo's second region podcast. Drew, this is your this is your um, first voyage on the podcast ship. Yeah, any any podcast ship been pretty landlocked. It was. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're glad to have you. 
What a, what a treat for us. So um, as you both know, we, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the book of Ruth and how that might sort of enlarge our theology of work and vocation. Mm-hmm. And so we've got uh, – Gustavo's been thinking a lot about this from the work and vocation side and how does that do that. And then Drew is our Hebrew scholar who – an Old Testament scholar who's going to help us nail some questions mm-hmm. about Ruth more generally. Um so, look, Drew, we're going to start with an easy question. I think you can answer this one. Who wrote Ruth and when was it written? Yeah, it couldn't get easier than that. That is not an easy question. <laughs> well, for one, the first one is actually pretty easy. We have no idea who wrote Ruth. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe somebody has guessed. Maybe somebody has, has uh, made a proposal, but we, we, we don't know. Most of the Old Testament, like if those narratives are pretty anonymous and there's no indication that the book of Ruth has any sort of, uh, you know, stamp of authorship on it. As far as I can tell, we don't even know the the answer to the second question, which is maybe more difficult. Mm. Um, We don't know when it was written either. I have my suspicions that it was written uh, in the Persian era. So, so fairly late after the exile. I mean, I say fairly late, like, I mean, after the exile, that's my guess. Uh, But there's indication that, you know, maybe one verse was written later. There's a verse that's kind of weird that indicates that, oh, maybe this book is a little bit older and that, and, and, uh, and somebody went in there and, and wrote, oh, back, by the way, this is what, what, this is what they used to do in, Mm -hmm. in, in Israel the economic system would require you to take off your sandal and things like that. So that's in chapter four, but um, there are other indications that suggest that maybe it was, maybe it was later. I mean, uh, some of the indications that, that we would think that it would be perhaps a little bit uh, later is that it's in the collection called the, it's in the um, collection called the writings. So there's the three, the, the, the book uh, the old Testament is written in three sections. There's no real reason to think that the book, that the writings are, young or uh, newer than the than the um pentateuch or the prophets mm-hmm. but the uh other than the fact that the all the new books that like the, the 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 other post-exilic books fall in the writings but included in that are the psalms so this and there are some very very old psalms um mm-hmm. uh, but the collection of the psalms seems to be uh, post-exilic so the mm-hmm. cult so the book itself the R- book of ruth in its final form i suspect that it's um post-exilic uh you know this could be like a real story of you know great grandma great grandma ruthie and you know uh david used to tell it and then so- solomon used to tell the story of great grandma ruthie and it was just you know a mouth-to-mouth sort of story or it could be kind of a necessity of somehow showing that there's a Moabite in the lineage of of David. And I was thinking, okay, if there's a need to include a Moabite in the in the lineage of David and of course Jesus, what would that need be? So I'm thinking, okay, this might be a real story of, you know, great grandma Ruthie, or the sort of a, a need to include a, a Moabite, uh a Gentile in the lineage. So I was thinking I'm guessing in the second, I don't know, but if it's the second, what would be the need of, of having a Moabite there? Like the the enemy. Oh, 
Well, I mean, at the, I mean, if it, if it is post-exilic, then I don't know if the Moabites would have been considered enemies at the time. I don't know if you know that oh, they don't really exist, yeah. right? So, so in some ways, it's. I mean, <clears throat> you could kind of think of it as similar to Jonah, as well, where Jonah is certainly. I mean, I, I don't. I'm sure that some people would argue that Jonah was written around this in uh, around the time of the um, the Assyrian conquest. Uh, but it seems to be that, oh, the Assyrians are this ancient, uh, I mean, even ancient in their standards, like a, a several hundred years old, that the Assyrians were considered the enemy. We're going to use that as a way to, uh, we're going to use the Assyrians as a way to uh, talk about foreigners in general. Because it, it's, it's, fair, it's mm-hmm. a fairly safe okay. way to talk about. So an older story, uh, perhaps... Yeah, a story of Grandma Ruthie, but brought into the fold mm-hmm. of uh, uh, brought into scripture in order to 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 talk about current events. But now those current events are so long ago that we don't even know exactly when Ruth was written. Because mm. yeah, that was the other question: Why would that be in the Old Testament, right? But yeah, go go clear. That's what I was going to say. Well, yeah. So you're saying kind of as a bit of a correction to Ezra and Nehemiah, potentially, like might be why it's there. Um, so there's that thought. But then I was going to say, what kind of, what is the, like, what's the kind of overall, what would you say is the kind of overall purpose point of Ruth in the big biblical narrative, maybe? Um, I, that's a, I mean, that's another hard question because mm. um, there's a book by Timothy Stone on the, the, the history of the megalote itself. And so this is just basically... Why, why is this collection of five books exist? So, so when we're talking about Ruth, we can look at Ruth individually. We can re- look at Ruth, why does it exist in history? Why does it exist in this small five-book collection? Why is it where it is in that small five-book collection? Mm. Why is it in the writings? Why is it where it is in the writings? Why is it where it is in the Septuagint, which it comes after Judges in the Septuagint, mm-hmm. in the Vulgate, and that's why it's after Judges in our book, but it's in the writings in the, in the Hebrew Bible. And so I think that all those things we need to put into and, and, uh, when, when answering that question. I, don't, right. I, I, would, I, I just resist any sort of, oh, why, you know, what is the theology of this book? Or right. what is, or what is, or what is this book doing in the Old Testament or or in the Bible? Um, because every time you say that, then there's another. Oh, but couldn't it couldn't it all do, also do this? Right? I mean, this yeah. happens yeah. over and over again. All, all you have to do is just do a little bit of reading and reception history, and then you realize, oh, you know, I I, I don't want to be so arrogant as to think that mm-hmm. I can come up with yeah. the the reason for this, this is book. why mm-hmm. yeah this this, mm-hmm. this book. Mm. Yeah. so yeah, no, uh, no. that's um uh but also i think you know just the nature of biblical writing is such that it brings we have to keep going back to it this is this is the yeah. uh we have and and so that bit of ambiguity is really necessary almost in some ways it's like necessary for it to be scripture so that we can uh argue about it and and yeah 
progress in a, in a slow way, but but in a way that keeps us going back to the text, I think. Yeah. See, on the one hand, we have Drew that wouldn't dare to say, this is what Root is all about. And on the other hand, on the opposite hand, we have Gustavo, who claims to know exactly what Root is all about, <laughs> Ruth is all about. And this is why I'm here. Exactly. You know, we needed both sides of the coin. Gustavo, that's so <laughs> sure. That's all about vocation and about the breadwinner. So tell us something, Gustavo. How are you so sure? <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. That's not an accurate <laughs> representation of what I'm doing here. Well, that's not what I signed up for. But anyway, um, no, I think I think um, my my understanding of the Book of Ruth um, work just um, stood out as like a, a topic, like a central topic. Um, in a certain way, when I read it, I see work as very central, like to the story in a way. Um, Work is the way that, like, the way out for Ruth and Naomi to to survive. For example, um, it is through um, work that Ruth becomes a part of Bethlehem society again. In a way, she's brought into the society through her work and even like building some kind of reputation uh, in that in that scenario. It is in a working setting that Ruth uh, meets uh, Boaz. And they have their first encounter at work, in a way, yeah. right? Um, it is through their work relationship that Boaz is able to show his uh, appreciation for Ruth and everything, and so on. So, in a way, work, uh, in my reading, is very central to the story. It's not the only point, of course, mm-hmm. but I'm bringing my reader's kind of eyes, you know, and my questions to the book. Um, so I, I think what I see in Ruth is that, um, especially given what we know about, we have done so far in terms of theology of work, I think Ruth, um, helps us to enlarge, uh, the theology of work and vocation, uh, because it approaches this topics of work and vocation from a different perspective. You know, like the, the metaphor I, I have in my mind is, for example, imagine like you have an orchestra and then you bring like a new instrument to it. It's not that the whole piece is going to be uh, different with or without that instrument, but it kind of adds something to that. You know, like you create some a new timber or something like that. You, you're hearing a different point of view um, in the same piece or the same story. So Ruth, I think that's the metaphor I have for Ruth in a theology of work conversation. Um, because when we read um, the, the story from Ruth's perspective or her point of view, um, we are able to, to remember in a way, it, it being kind of reminded of like some theological truths that are somewhere else in scripture. Um, but we see them like in a very um, um, fleshed out way. It's like a very clear kind of uh, expression of those uh, yeah. truths, especially about work and vocation. So, Yeah, and you, I mean, Gustavo, you're so familiar to the whole conversation of work and faith, which has been mm-hmm. kind of kicking around, I would say, the Western Christian church for a while. I don't know um, sort of whether we would say that's globally, but maybe more and more so. But you're saying that kind of as well that Ruth Ruth isn't all, doesn't always factor into those kind of the, his, the conversations we've had kind of to date. Um, and so that's why this is kind of can we can we add Ruth into that big sort of theology of work and vocation and faith and how that 
kind of all interact. Yeah, I mean, like in my in my own, like I did like a very um, um, kind of precarious uh, survey here in my my own books, uh, my theology of work books here, and I would say like twenty percent of them mention Ruth as a biblical reference. Most of them, eighty percent and more, actually go to Genesis, of course, to talk about work, because this is, well, we kind of model our work after God's work in creation, right? And that's, 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 that's beautiful and that's correct. I think that's exactly where we should go first, mm -hmm. in my understanding. But I was really struck by the fact that Ruth is never or seldom actually mentioned as a, as a, as a resource for uh, faith and work conversations. And then, uh, even in these like 20%, when you go there and see what they're talking about Ruth, usually it's from Boa's perspective, which is um, he's a businessman or he's the owner of that thing. And then he's able to show grace through his work yeah. by being, um, by giving job and creating jobs. And so it, it goes there, but it usually is about Boa's, work and and his perspective on work so i was more interested in in knowing well what what would ruth say what would she think about this or how is she going through this because yeah. in my understanding this is um um more kind of representative of like 80 percent of the the global workforce today is more like ruth than like Boas, you know, like we, we're, we have more employees than employers. So I think yeah. in that sense, like it kind of adds to the conversation in that way. So I'm not saying that what we have done so far is not helpful or, no, or yeah. correct or anything. No, it's, it's nice and it's beautiful. But I, I do think that Ruth can bring something uh, to that conversation as well. Just yeah. by presenting a different point of view. Yeah, at least I think in my tradition, uh, whenever uh, somebody would preach about Ruth, I was like, oh, Ruth, really? Do we have to go through Ruth again? It's like, uh, But because one of, the, one of the issues is, um, at least in my tradition, it was very spiritualized. And then the other issue is like, we, we kind of align with, with the Israelites. You know, because we are the spiritual Israel, some, some, some would say. So when, sometimes when I approach Ruth, it was, you know, I'm Israel. And then, and then there's Ruth, the Moabite, the outsider and the foreigner. And in my, in my head was some, some, somewhat detached from Ruth, from the realness of the story of an immigrant that, you know, had to go back to the country that wasn't her own. And, and like, you bring the real, I, I like, I like, I like a, a lot of stuff you say, a lot of things you say about Ruth. But one of the things I love is you bring, at least for me, the realness back to the story. You're talking about an immigrant poor immigrant, a woman. And then, then it also uh, touches base with me that now I'm not, I'm a, I'm an immigrant here in Canada. So it somehow you, you make, make it all connect instead of, you know, I'm Israel and I'm Boaz and I'm reading about, you know, this is all a spiritual and it's, and it's not, you know, a, uh, a real story with suffering and, and, you know, economic, uh, you know, there's no balance there, and then, so so I love the way you bring back the realness through vocation and work, and and yeah. 
and Gustavo, I think we'll unpack some of these a little bit later. But can you just, if as you think about Ruth, you've kind of kind of come up with these sort of four sort of reminders that Ruth gives us, ideas that are fleshed out in the rest of Scripture, but that Ruth kind of reminds us. Do you want to just kind of just give us those kind of four things that as we then keeping on going, we can maybe come back to some of them as we go along. But what are those four things? No, I think like uh, when I when I look at Ruth and, and see like the four chapters beautifully kind of, you know, done and beautifully laid out there. Um, I think what I see like in, in each chapter, so the first chapter, for example, kind of reminds us, and again, like all, all that I'm saying is in a way kind of represented somewhere else in scripture as well, right? Like this is just a kind of a set of reminders that I, I see there. So one is that um, the poor are the ones who suffer the most. So whatever happens, uh, you know, in terms of tragedies or, you know, job loss or whatever, whatever happens, um, uh, the poor are the ones who suffer the most because their net of security is just like thinner and, and, and they might not have enough resources to bounce back, you know, from difficult situations. I think the second thing, and that's more like the second chapter for me, has to do with um, even like the definition of vocation. And I think the, the story of Ruth reminds us, and this is probably debatable, but I understand that vocation is not dependent on gifting. You know, uh, our vocation is not dependent on the gifts we have and skills and everything. The third reminder, uh, and then going like to chapter three, I would say is, that self-sufficiency is not a Christian value. You know, like we see, we see uh, Boaz and Ruth, like that relationship that's, that's very interesting dynamics out there. And Ruth is kind of fighting for her survival in a way. And Boaz shows, you know, the, the hesed, like the, 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 the grace and, and mercy in a way that's very, very beautiful and touching. And that kind of reminds us that self-sufficiency is not really something that scriptures um, value, right? Like, so depending on each other is something good, right? And then, like, when we go, like, to the fourth chapter, what I see is, uh, like, the way the story ends and, and even, like, the, the little um, outro in musical terms, you know, at the end is just, like, God's blessing is wider and, and deeper than the sum of uh, the results of people who are doing work. So we can see very clearly that Ruth is, was never trying to change anything or change any reality. Like she was trying to survive. But this is exactly what God uses to uh, create a, a, new, a new season for, for Israel's story in a way. So... Uh, the last verses talking about um, how Jesus, in a way, and David connects to that story, kind of tells us that it's not just the sum of the results uh, of Ruth's work that count. God is doing like way more, and we can trust Him that He is doing this because we don't see it, right? So Ruth has no idea what what her decisions and and the things that she's doing or uh, um, making of that situation would would create in the future. But God is taking care of that. So those kind of reminders that I, I see in that story. Yeah, I want to go. I, I will go back to the gifting because what you're saying is really, really interesting, and I have a lot of questions about that. But I want to go back to Drew and ask him about uh, the Hebrew because you know I'm thinking Ruth going back 
going, you know, to to Israel uh, with with Naomi, Naomi, right? And and uh, I was thinking about what are the chances of a Moabite knowing Hebrew? You know, because in my every immigrants like you go into a foreign country, there's a language they don't speak, and and you know, for for us to kind of you know build our imagination of of the story and what happened and what she had to go through and then because the language uh, would bring some really interesting things that you've noticed but I, I, my question was how how uh you know what are the odds of of Ruth knowing understanding Hebrew uh, maybe because of, of the husband or the well listen, uh, uh, it'd be actually quite high it would be similar to I, I mean, I don't know as far as like, we don't know as far as like accents go, yeah. but the, the grammar is actually quite similar to Hebrew. The language is quite okay. similar. There are some, there are some, uh, the, there are some differences that are like interesting, significant, but as, but the language, I mean, we really do not have a lot of Moabite to go on. There's, there's just a, just a, just a few inscriptions as far as like, as far as I know. And those inscriptions are, basically uh readable to to someone who knows who Hebrew. knows Hebrew. so do you think they share like a, a a similar language root where they come from oh yeah no no, no doubt no doubt they're both canaanite uh dialects yeah yeah so that so um dialects okay yeah so the i mean if you're uh i mean for I just give you an example. Like we just had, I just got done with uh, teaching advanced Hebrew, and the, one of the very first things that we do in the class is actually read a, Moab, the, a Moabite inscription, and we, and we're able to do it with a lot of challenge. It's a the, mm-hmm. the alphabet is different than the one that's in the um and and the and the Hebrew Bible, but that but the the alphabet in the Hebrew Bible uh, is Aramaic. So it's not, so that's, mm-hmm. so it's, uh, it's a transliterated from Hebrew into Aramaic alphabet is what we're, is what we read, what we think of as Hebrew. So if you go to back to that, look at the, the Hebrew alphabet from before the exile, it would look very similar to Moabite and there'd be a lot of similarities to it, but important differences as well. So I think that Ruth wouldn't have any trouble like understanding uh, understanding anybody, she'd she'd go to the field. She'd be able to have a conversation, okay. uh, but there might be and and she lived with uh, uh, Hebrew men or a Hebrew man for around ten years, according to chapter one. Uh, but it was in Moab, and so you know we have we we don't really know that much. However, uh, there might be she might have some issues with idioms. She might have some issues with say longer, uh, long complex sentences, just because there mm-hmm. might be some mix up. Sorry for interrupting your podcast, but Claire Perini has something important to say. This podcast is a ministry of Regent College and relies on the support of generous donors. If you've enjoyed our conversation today or any other day, please consider making a small donation to the college at rgnt.net forward slash give. That's R-R-G-N. <laughs> How do you say R? Ah. Uh, ah. Uh. <laughs> R. Okay, let me do that again. R. R. G. R. 
please consider making a small donation to the college at rgnt.net forward slash give. That's rgnt.net slash give. Now, if you really want to make our day, when you donate, there's a comment box. Please leave a note saying that the podcast sent you. Thank you. Thank you. And enjoy the rest of the podcast. Yeah, it sounds to me like, well, as a, as a Portuguese speaker and having yeah. like lots of friends, like with Spanish speakers, like Octavio, for example, okay. um, we might be able to understand each other. But there are like even like some words that mean have like completely different meaning. So to avoid any confusion, usually we talk like in English. In English. <laughs> yeah, oh, Just the case. So given all of that potential for confusion, there is still some kind of con- coherence that we kind of can see coming through the Book of Ruth. But Drew, I'd be interested. I want to kind of jump back on some of the things that Gustavo was raising at the beginning. But Drew, I would love to hear your thoughts on what Gustavo's kind of shared as a way of reading Ruth and a way of understanding Ruth? Like what stands out to you as someone who spent lots of time in the book? And then we'll kind of jump to Gustavo unpacking some of those a bit more. Well, well, I mean, Gustavo, I mean, this is part part of the issue with, with this, with me being here is that I I really don't know enough about like the theology of vocation uh, to, uh, to, 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 to know exactly. But I mean, I I really appreciate what Gustavo is saying. My, my first, my first impression when he was talking was like, Ruth's work, the way that like her, her work was like a necessity for survival. Like it, to call it like a vocation would be, mm-hmm. would be like, it's not to call it a calling. It's like, yes, as much as, you know, living from day to day, you know, having enough. Being a breadwinner. Yeah. Well, ba- I mean, breadwinner, bread, yeah. like barely winner. Right? Barely. Bread, mm. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so she, she's going into the fields. I mean that, you know, Naomi goes to Moab in the first place because there's no food in, in Israel. Right. Mm -hmm. So there that, if we, if we want to consider that, that immigration Mm -hmm. to be, it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, uh, economic refugee in Mm -hmm. a way, right. They're going from one, one nation to another. Those nations are really close together. So it kind of raises the question as to what kind of, what, what is the nature of this famine that would draw, you know, it's not, it, uh, it could very well be a political famine, you know, or p- politically generated famine because it's in the time of the judges, right? So we don't even know exactly all, it's all underlying. Mm-hmm. And they have to come back because there is bread in Bethlehem, which is house of bread. There's food in there that, that God visited the house of bread. House of bread. Um, and so they go back and, not, and, and Ruth is like suggests, oh, maybe I should go go and see if I can gain the favor of somebody and get food and just, just get scraps for the, for the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Naomi is, you know, she's bitter and she seems to be barely like Ruth may, we don't, again, we don't know. This is very scant details, but is Ruth kind of going there to keep not Naomi alive? Like is, is Naomi just giving up? And, but, but, uh, but this idea of self-sufficiency, not being a Christian value that, that we're all, we're in this together and it, and it requires people working for each other. But yeah, and perhaps the most beautiful is, oh, Ruth working for the sake of her and Naomi, mm-hmm. despite Naomi's, you know, bitterness. Mm. So Gustavo, that's, that kind of leads into, I think that this kind of question of, 
you know, the, you were saying vocation is not dependent on gifting. Um, so you kind of said something like working with something that you like in an unequal world is a social privilege and not necessarily an indicator of being in line with one's calling. Um, what do you, yeah, so what do you, what do you mean? Because it, it, it doesn't, what Drew's saying is true. It's like, yeah, no, there's, there's not a lot of this is, I've really like, I'm fulfilled. This is my vocation, you know, like talk to us more about sort of how Ruth helps you understand, like kind of broaden vocation um, a bit, a bit more and anything else you want yeah, to say about that? Yeah, I think that? the key word here is dependent, um, which means um, it, it, it kind of like this reflection came out of like a, um, a question I had. So I was looking around um, and, and realizing, well, we live in a, an equal world, right? So opportunities are not the same for everyone, right? Uh, the thing is that uh, very often uh, when we talk about vocation in our circles, we associate the fulfillment of this vocation with the use of our gifts. So very often we feel like, well, if I'm using my gifts, that means that I'm fulfilling my vocation. Because like, like that good feeling about doing something that was, you know, like how many times we heard the, the phrase, Oh, I was born to do this, right? So we right away, we put like our gifts and our skills to vocation. So that this connection. But there's something in between that's like called opportunities that we don't have uh, for everyone. So the problem with kind of associating very directly, you know, like gifts to vocation is if we limit using our gifts to vocation, what does that mean in a, in a world in which opportunity is not available for everyone? Are we saying that those who don't have the opportunity to use their gifts to work are not fulfilling their vocation? And that's a dangerous path. And I, I don't think that's the message we, we hear uh, from Ruth or anywhere in the scripture. So I think what we have um, done in a way unintentionally uh, in our vocation conversation about vocation is that we kind of narrowed uh, our understanding of the use of our gifts to vocation as if like there was like a one-on-one um, uh, relationship. So what we see in Ruth is she's working like I don't I don't think she was kind of made or she was born to to be a gleaner right in the fields like that's not that's not the um, what we, we see, but that does not mean that she's not fulfilling her vocation. I think like we, if you read the story uh, end to end, you see, well, she fulfilled her vocation like beautifully because she was faithful. So the key word to, to understand her fulfillment, the, the vocation of, uh, uh, the fulfillment of her voca- vocation was she was faithful to the, the circumstances around her and she responded in a way that was faithful. So I think, I think the problem that we see today, that I see today, is just like, well, if I need to, f- to feel that I'm using my gifts to understand that I'm fulfilling my vocation, I might be in trouble because sometimes that's not possible. But yeah. that doesn't mean that I'm fulfilling my vocation. But the problem in, has like another, another side to it. 
which is it goes both ways. Does it mean when I'm working and using my gifts, does it mean that I'm fulfilling my, my vocation? Is the simple fact that I have pleasure at work because I'm using my gifts, is this an unequivocal sign that I'm fulfilling my vocation? If the first part is correct and that there's no one-on-one direction, uh, connection, I think the other way around is also true. Like, well, no, not necessarily. You might be doing some work that's very fulfilling kind of personally to you because you're using your gifts, like you're good at what you do. Usually people pay a lot of money for you to do that. You know, like this kind of signs. And, oh, that's that's what I was born to do. Well, really, I, I don't see that in scripture, uh, not in Ruth, not anywhere else. So if you look at the very specific callings that uh, biblical characters uh, received, uh, there was very little to do with gifting or, or skills or anything. Actually, it's always the opposite. It, it, they always say, I'm not, I don't like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm, yeah. Me? No, no, no. Send my brother. You know, like me? No, I, I'm too young. Me? I don't know how to do that. Like, so I, I think the biblical message around calling is totally different from what we often kind of, um, kind of uh, uh, zero in, which is vocation has to do with using our gifts. You know what I mean? So I think that Ruth, in a way, shows us that fulfilling some one's vocation does not have to do necessarily with the use of one's gifts. I was thinking, how, how do you uh, define then vocation? How would you like define vocation, you know, before the coming of Jesus or in the year... 120 or when when nobody like only the powerful would get to maybe not even name like follow their dreams because it's basically you know i have this dream do you have the gifts in order to accomplish those dreams then you chase after those like you know easy math right that's what what your heart yearns for good indication you have you have the talent you love doing it that's what you're supposed to follow and that's kind of like vocation but how so you would define vocation like equals faithfulness in that sense, but because, uh, or it's just vocation, uh, such a, a way to of a modern word, word in order to, to ask the question, for, uh, to the people in the past. Is it too of a, of a modern concept to make sense for people in, in the past, or, or it does make sense, but our definition is too narrow, or, yeah, you know no, what I'm asking? Yeah, I, I think like the, the, the concept of vocation is not new at all. I mean, like from Adam to the apostles, we see um, God calling people, right? So I think the problem or, or what you're describing as vocation, like as a very narrow kind of definition of like gifting, you know, like doing the simple math you mentioned and then like fulfilling your vocation. This is modern. But the concept of being a God calling people to participate in his work, that's not new. So I would say, like in a, in a very simple way, I would say that vocation is simply the invitation to participate in what God is doing in the world. And that's a very old concept. Like this is, you know, as I said, like from Adam to, to the apostles, we see that um, God just inviting uh, humankind to participate in what he's doing. 
So that in essence, like just to translate that, I would say that means to to respond to my own circumstances according to my best understanding of God's will. That's what I, I, I understand as vocation. It's like to, um, to respond to the circumstances around me, but using my best knowledge of God's will for my life, for the world, for the people around me and everything. Um, yeah. But the problem is old as well, I think. Like the problem of like definition of vocation is old as well. Because, for example, if you read um, um, 1 Corinthians um, 7, for example, Paul is saying to people, like, you should remain in the condition uh, in which you were called, right? Uh, because people started to wonder at that point if it would be possible to, to be a Christian in their context. So they were saying, well, but actually I'm, I'm, I'm a Jew, um, if I receive the calling, again, vocation, should I change that? Like, should I, you know, like the circumcision comes in, like, well, but I'm a slave. Uh, how can I be a Christian and like, being a slave? So Paul comes in and says, well, actually, uh, you should live your calling or invitation to participate in God's work, right? Uh, in this situation that you are, that's, that's your context. So that's why... We we read that he's kind of telling people to stay where they are. So what is new, however, is this narrow definition that limits um, vocation to the the work we do with our gifts. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe even uh, vocation would be. You know, you would have to include the conversation of, of place being called to a place because part of part of the conversation of this sort of. Uh, you know, get you, you know, follow your dreams, do what you're good at, and you'll be able to get get out of there, wherever you're from. You know that that uh, slumpy neighborhood, that uh, bad situation you're from. Just, I mean, if you follow your dreams, work hard enough, you'll be able to get out of there and go to a better place where you know it's full of. And there's some, it's complicated because there's some sort of truth disguised with with a lot of you know Western thinking in the sense of uh, you're not called to a place you're called to fulfill your dreams and 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 if that gets you gets you out of your place I mean place it's secondary right the the first thing is your dreams not a place uh, but it, and, and if your dreams include a place then good but if it doesn't get the crap out of there right sort of a thing but back then uh vocational as what you're saying would include to be faithful to the place you were i mean you were born there for a reason right that, that was that was part of your calling you being born in that family being born in that place being born in that city but now that's very optional right because I, I might might have been born in in uganda i might have been born in sweden and i can move around pretty easily so you know i'm kind of landlocked to my place of birth might sometimes for a while but you know that they tell me if i work hard enough i'll be able to get out of there so so the place i'm being born is not you know that important anymore because well, yeah I'm, I'm just think, thinking out loud but but it has to do a lot with with uh calling to a place as well so I the think. relationship between vocation and place essentially yeah Essentially, clever. I would, essentially. I would probably say that, like in a in a more like in a broader way, would be like vocation and circumstances. 
you right. know, and, circum opportunities and, yeah. and circumstances like we can just put all in there, like the place, mm -hmm. uh, the opportunities, the people around you, the community, yeah. what kind of uh, um, schools <laughs> you have around you, you know, like how much money your family has and all these are circumstances. So I think to fulfill our vocation, we need to discern what is God doing around me and how can I respond faithfully to what he's doing around me. So bringing us back to Ruth. So, and this might be where we, where we kind of close, but so he's saying Ruth reminds us that vocation doesn't depend on using our gifts, even though her decision to follow Naomi, her job search, in inverted commas, were not based on her gifts, yet we can clearly see that she fulfilled her calling. What's her calling? I think, again, like her calling was to, um, in a very simple way, I would say in that story, that was to take care of Naomi. Mm -hmm. And she did it. Mm -hmm. You know, like, because that's, that's the, that's the prompt of everything. So mm -hmm. she, she starts like the story starts as uh, Drew mentioned, like it starts because they were trying to, to survive, like as a family, they would go like to Moab and then go back to Bethlehem and everything. But then in Bethlehem, like her, her first and immediate um, um, circumstance is to survive and to make sure that Naomi is surviving as well. So, and she did this well, and it wasn't by herself, because Boaz showed grace and, and, and mercy and everything, like she was, he was um, 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 generous, and then we have like the, the whole uh, society of Bethlehem kind of embracing her in a different way, uh, not ideally, but you know, in, a, in a way, and then she, she has a kid at the end, and then... You know, like you have you have all this kind of uh, things happening uh, out of her intention to fulfill mm -hmm. the the calling of taking care of care Naomi. Of mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you would have to kind of say that would be a, like a temporary calling because it's done in a certain period of time, right? And then she gets married, and then you know, no, no one's gonna die soon. And then you have what? Let's say twenty more years of, and Naomi's gone. So. Yeah, it's the conversation of, you know, we're, we're searching for the calling, right? The one thing I'm going to do for the rest of my... Sometimes it's that way of thinking, right? I just got to, you know, nail that that one thing I'm going for. Just the one thing I'm going to spend the rest of my life, you know, investing. But sometimes it's a plethora of... I have a friend who says, like, the, 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 the most difficult thing about predicting the future is to get it right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So the thing is, it's really easy to talk about my one vocation in mm. retrospect. Mm. So when someone yeah. looks at you know, <laughs> like that, the game is like the game is 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 finished. So you you look back and see what happened, and you can connect the dots. But that's not how it works. Like you, we don't we don't live that way. Like we. So at this point now, we we might be able to to say something about our vocation. Up until now, mm -hmm. but then we need to to walk along, like walk more, and then look back again and say, "Well, this is my okay." So, I think okay. like vocation has to do with responding whenever you are, whatever you're doing right now. So it has to do with time as well. Speaking mm. of time, speaking of time, such a beautiful segue. <laughs> <laughs> um, Drew, do you want to say anything? Any kind of closing thoughts there? 
I uh, no, I from what I heard, I just all for the purpose of uh, full disclosure, I I uh, got booted off briefly. Uh, what did you do, Claire? Well, I had to go check to see if the uh, if if one of my kids was on YouTube or something like that, and just like sucking up all my all my bandwidth. But um, uh, so I'm back, I'm back. Uh, but I did get to hear most of what uh, Gustavo had to say, and and I, I I think that that it was very wise from from my uh, my perspective as far as um, what uh, that yeah that Ruth does have some things to say about about work in this way that, that, uh, um, yeah, it's hard to know what, what, you know, if, if Ruth were 20th, 21st century woman with, uh, the ability to go to school and things like that. I mean, who knows what, what, you know, what her quote unquote calling would be, but her calling mm-hmm. at that time was, was really just, I mean, yeah, this sense of survival and, uh, was she a gifted, um, gleaner we have we have no idea that's just what what she needed to do uh and that that was what was before her at that time so i mm-hmm. I, I don't know i don't know if i could uh add anymore i just felt like i needed to come in here to say that i'm still i'm still here <laughs> that's fine that's great well gustavo and drew thanks for a, a very interesting conversation around things that personally mm-hmm. i've never thought at all about until I started thinking about <laughs> preparing for today. So, thanks for your yeah, thanks for the work that you've done. Thanks for the insights that you bring. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Regent College podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To discover more about Regent College, its upcoming events, conferences, courses, and more content like this, visit rgnt.net. That is R-G-N-T dot net.